doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a major pain. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Eric about kidney stones. On this podcast, we often talk about chronic illness and mystery illness. And for Eric, his kidney stones are both chronic and mysterious. Eric has passed over 400 kidney stones, an average of two per month. And to make matters significantly worse, his doctors often don't believe him. You'd think for someone who passes that many kidney stones that doctors would step in and try to figure out what's at the root, what's going on to cause this to happen. But so far, that has not happened. Eric has been unable to find a doctor to drill down to the root of this issue. What Eric is going through is intense and graphic and incredibly unfair, and this podcast represents that. If you are someone that gets squeamish, this podcast might be too much for you. This is the first time recording a conversation for this show where I started to get a little squeamish because I've actually passed kidney stones before. So, you know, anyone will tell you, anyone who's passed a kidney stone will tell you that it is one of the most, if not the most painful thing that they have been through. So the idea of having to experience that constantly is, is a lot to try to wrap your head around. But it also makes for a really stunning conversation. You know, this one really stayed with me after. I've been thinking about it ever since we had this conversation. I can't lie. Uh, it's, it's, it's graphic, it's intense, but it's also so valuable to hear about Eric's experiences through his own words. Eric will share with us that during his journey with kidney stones, he became addicted to opiates. And it makes it not safe for him to take opiates when he passes kidney stones now. So he'll talk us through that process and what he does to get through the excruciating pain without opiates. There is some discussion of suicide in this episode, and whenever this topic comes up on the show, I like to provide the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at the top of the show. That number is 1-800-273-8255. There is always someone waiting to talk. We talk about in this episode how, you know, chronic pain patients often feel like they have no options and how sometimes people take their own lives. And I actually knew someone that did take their own life because of chronic pain, so I... I'm particularly sensitive to the tragedy of this as someone who lives with chronic pain. I always wish that I could have spoken to this person. You know, we were, we were acquaintances, we were friends of friends, I never really knew her that well, didn't know she was in chronic pain, always thought she was a really cool person and wish that I could have talked to her because maybe it would have made a difference. And that's a huge uh, part of my inspiration for starting this podcast in the first place and just speaking publicly about chronic pain because people feel so isolated around it that sometimes they just lose hope. And that's just, that's, that's something that I don't want for anyone who is a part of this community ever. So if you are in crisis, call that National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. I'm very grateful to Eric for coming on the show and sharing his story because, yeah, these things are hard to talk about and to get up on a public platform and share is difficult and he did a fantastic job. We'll get to it in just a couple minutes. This show is completely funded by listeners on Patreon. Thank you so much to our community of support that is growing on Patreon. We actually have a brand new Patreon supporter this week. 
My friend from high school, Christina Delgado Schur. Thank you so much, Christina, for signing up to support the podcast. Christina was there for one of the fundamental, incredible moments of my entire life when I was part of the 2,000-piece band that performed at the opening ceremonies of the Olympics in Australia in the year 2000 for the Summer Olympic Games. I can't believe it's 22 years ago. That's insane. Christina and I went to the same high school, and uh, my sister was there as well. And yeah, this was just one of those foundational life experiences that I will never forget being on the field during the opening ceremonies of the Olympics with my trumpet marching around. It was fantastic. Uh, So I was so excited to hear that Christina was listening to this podcast, and now I'm even extra thrilled that she signed up to be our newest Patreon supporter. So thank you so much. It's so appreciated. If you'd like to support this show, you can sign up for as little as $2 per month. And Christina is actually the first person who's ever signed up at $3 per month, which is not an official tier. But I had totally forgotten that Patreon allows you to sign up for any amount that you want. The official tiers are $2, $7, and $25 per month. But if you sign up in between those tiers, you get the rewards from the tier below. And you can pay any amount you want to support this podcast. Everyone who supports the show on Patreon gains access to our monthly bonus episodes. And a couple days ago, I released our bonus episode for the month of March. Andy and I sat down and talked about the latest updates with my health journey and Spider-Man 2, because I showed it to her, one of my favorite movies ever. We watched Spider-Man 3 last night, and it was rough. I felt really bad for putting her through that. But as always, we had a really, really great conversation on the, the bonus podcast this month. We got to talking about how Spider-Man in some ways kind of mirrors chronic illness, and I won't spoil it because I I just loved this conversation. It was so fun. If you're already a member of the Patreon community, I will put a link in the description of this episode if you want to bounce right over to that on Patreon. And if you'd like to sign up to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes and some other gifts, you can do so at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. You can also see all the ways to support this show on our website, majorpainpodcast.com slash support. So for those of you following along with my medical journey, I'll just take a quick a couple minutes here to update you. I did finally have my appointment with my hepatologist to go over my liver biopsy results. Um, It was actually a good appointment. She went through each line of the the write-up from the biopsy, explained what it all meant. And then we got to the end of that and she says, I still have no idea what this is. You know, it looks like something's going on, but I really can't tell what it is. So when you when you have biopsy results like mine, it says that there's like a, a potentially a mild pattern of hepatic damage going on or a mild pattern of liver damage going on. And the problem is that all of my blood work is normal. All of my liver blood work is normal. So what she wants to do is put me on a sort of a wait and see pattern. We're going to recheck my blood work every six months and see if things are getting worse. Um, unfortunately, I'm in a position where it's, it's like there's, it looks like there's something going on, but it could be nothing. Uh, it might get worse. It might not. So we kind of have to wait and see if it gets worse in my liver to actually diagnose it as something. But she was very encouraging in the fact that she 
made sure to point out that she believes me that something is happening in my body, which is nice. You know, doctors used to doubt that constantly. So I definitely have some trauma around that. And I always feel like I have to prove myself to my doctors and to get through the end of, you know, the diagnostic process with someone who can't figure me out. I'm always expecting them to say, uh, we're going to send you to a psychiatrist and have you evaluated to see if this is all in your head. I've been through that many times and it didn't happen this time, which was nice. So, I mean, her thought was, we can see that you're having a lot of deficiencies. We thought your copper was high for the last year. It's not. Your copper actually might be a little low. And that on top of the newly discovered vitamin D deficiency, I had issues with low ferritin. I used to have issues with low vitamin B. We're back to thinking that I might not be absorbing nutrients correctly. So I have an appointment. I was able to get in really quickly with my gastroenterologist. I'm seeing him on uh, Tuesday, which as I'm recording this is tomorrow, which will be the day before this podcast comes out. So it's potentially I'll have more information for next week. We'll see. But yeah, I, I talked about this a bit more on the, the bonus episode this week, but we discovered that my vitamin D is low and I tried taking vitamin D and I got really, really sick. It was really bizarre. I've never experienced that before. I've taken vitamin D in the past because it has been low in the past and I did not get sick this way. It was just like all of my normal symptoms just turned up to 11 and I was barely functional. I was so proud of myself for getting the podcast out last week because it was a close call. It almost didn't happen, but I was able to do it. Very proud of myself about that. So yeah, we are closing the books on Wilson's disease. I do not have a copper overload. That's not what's going on. Um, whatever's going on might be affecting my liver. It might be causing this, this you know pattern of damage that we saw on the biopsy. But she said that's also something where she's seen that before and it's resolved on its own. So uh, not to say that there's nothing there, but definitely not a smoking gun of any kind. But we have a couple more leads to follow. Things are starting to shape in a different direction than they were before. And it's just so fascinating when you're in the midst of a diagnostic journey, how you know what you think about your body just changes completely based off of the newest information. And I keep running myself through different filters. It's like when I apply the filter of Wilson's disease to my situation, it made sense, it fit, it felt right, but that got ripped away. And now I'm applying this new filter of, okay, well, what if I'm just not absorbing a whole bunch of things correctly for some reason? And that could fit too, you know? I used to, I used to not put any stock in anything because I felt like there was no use in having any hope about any diagnosis unless we had some concrete information. And this last year going through this Wilson's disease thing has really changed my perspective on that because I've realized how much I need hope. I need to have some sort of lead. There has to be something to keep me going. I need to have some lead. And it almost doesn't even matter what it is um, because, you know, things get disproven all the time. But as long as there's another lead, I feel okay. As long as there's another path to go down, I feel okay. There was a couple days in this process with the Wilson's disease not happening with the liver biopsy where I had no leads at all, and I really started to spin out, and that's a tough place to be. So, you know, my, my, my thoughts about hope and false hope are changing because I feel like you have to have hope, and it's okay to cling on to anything that gives you hope. You know, if that keeps you going, then that can be a good thing, even if it ends up not panning out. And the last year clinging on to this hope of Wilson's disease was so helpful to me, even though it didn't pan out. I at least have a new hope now that I'm leaning into. I'm not trying to make a Star Wars reference for the first time in my life. I have a new hope to lean into and that feels good. And I have appointments coming up. 
My hepatologist did say that she thinks that I might have a new disease and that I should go to the Mayo Clinic. This is the same thing that an old neurologist said. The first person who told me that he thought I had a new disease also said I should go to the Mayo Clinic. I did apply and was denied. But we have a lot more information now. We have so many blood tests that have been slightly off. Uh, you know, we have this liver biopsy that shows what might be something. So, I think that I might get in if I were to reapply to the Mayo Clinic. I'm not quite there yet. We have a couple of leads that we're following, like I was discussing with the gastroenterologist, and then also a brand new lead that I just found out about this week. So my primary care doctor is currently on paternity leave for three months. I've talked so much about how much I love my primary care doctor, um, and I'm very happy for him that he's taking this time to get to know his daughter. It's fantastic. But it does lead me needing a primary care doctor for the next couple of months. So I met with someone else in his department and he was completely stumped too. He's He walked into the room and he said, I've looked at your chart. I've looked at all these notes. I have absolutely no idea what's going on. You know, he kind of set the stage early. And as we talked through the options, you know, a lot of my doctor's visits are me kind of asking questions like, what if we tried this? What if we tried that? What if we looked into this a little deeper? And as we were talking through that, it was obvious that, you know, he was pretty stumped, but he did make one suggestion that could be huge, and I got my fingers crossed, we'll see how this goes, but he said there's another doctor in my primary care office who loves mystery illness and loves mystery diseases, loves to work with people like me to try to find a diagnosis, the type of person who stays up at night researching things, trying to figure things out, loves a puzzle, uh, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you serious? This person exists? Yes, please, please get me an appointment with this person. So I'm actually seeing her next, uh, or the week after this week, next week. <laughs> That's what it's called, next week. I'm obviously a little excited. I'm seeing this person next week. I had no idea anyone like this existed at the University of Washington. This is exactly what I want, especially after just talking to my hepatologist about how she has 2,000 patients. How is anyone, any one doctor going to stay up all night researching things for one patient when they have 2,000 patients? You got to put it down and relax and take care of yourself. That's part of the problem is that doctors are overworked. You know, it's not that doctors don't care a lot of the time or that doctors don't want to find answers. It's that they have 2,000 patients and or more, and they just can't put that much time into one person. The amount of time it would take for someone like me with a really deep mystery that seems unsolvable. But apparently there's a doctor that likes that and wants that. And that's just absolutely thrilling to me. If all of these leads lead nowhere, then we're going to reapply to the Mayo Clinic, um, which is kind of scary. I was just talking to my therapist about this. It's a little scary to think about the Mayo Clinic is kind of like the last line of defense as far as finding a diagnosis is concerned. And if that line of defense is breached, then there's really nothing left as far as getting a diagnosis is concerned. And that might be the point in which I have to just kind of accept that I will never have a diagnosis, which is just antithetical to who I am as a person. I just don't want to, I don't want that. I don't want to have to live that way, just kind of keeping track of my body's organs and systems to see what fails first, to try to pinpoint what's going on and treating the symptoms without knowing the disease. I don't want that at all. I want a diagnosis. And the idea of not finding that is terrifying to me. The idea of going to the Mayo Clinic and coming through that with no diagnosis is really scary. But I'm obviously willing to do it. I've tried once before and they were the reason I couldn't go. So, you know, I've really, really loved being at University of Washington. I felt so cared for, even though we've hit a lot of dead ends. I still feel like we have a few threads to track down, 
But yeah, if, if those threads lead nowhere, then we're going to try the Mayo Clinic again. That's the current plan. My last quick update is that, you know, during my conversation with my hepatologist, we talked about how I felt so much better when I was taking zinc. Uh, and then I went off of the zinc to do the liver biopsy, got really sick, went back on the zinc after the biopsy until I got the results, saw that my copper was actually low and went off the zinc again because, you know, the reason I was taking zinc was to keep my copper level down. But if my copper level's way down, you don't want to be taking zinc. But she says that she thinks it's actually safe for me to take zinc. Just lower the amount that I was taking a little bit. If it's helping, it doesn't matter if we don't know why, just keep taking it. It's a relatively benign thing to take. So I'm back on the zinc and Oh my goodness, it is just amazing. I feel so much better just three or four days on the zinc. My energy levels way up, my pain levels down, my ability to process and think and function is better. And we have no idea why. She actually ran a test to test my zinc. Um, I just got it back. The normal level for zinc, according to my results, is between 60 and 120. And my zinc is sitting at 75. So it's towards the bottom end, but it is in the normal range. So I'm definitely not zinc deficient. So it still doesn't make sense why taking zinc is making me feel so much better, but it's really incredible. I mean, I, I just, it's just bizarre. It's bizarre. We don't understand it. I'm living inside of a mystery and it's infuriating and maddening, but in moments like this, where we have information, it's just thrilling. It's like, wow, I, what if we actually find a diagnosis? It would be just stunning and absolutely incredible. We also did some blood work, checking some of my other vitamin levels that we're waiting back on. I'll keep you updated when I hear more. And the immediate concern is we got to get my vitamin D level back up because it's low enough that it could be, could be damaging my bones. That's something else we're checking. I've been having some weird leg pain for the last few months. Uh, we actually had an MRI that didn't show anything, but then we found out my vitamin D is low. That can cause bone pain. It can cause bone loss. So I'm going to have a bone density scan coming up. And, you know, like I said, I tried taking vitamin D, got really, really sick. And that's my immediate concern with this doctor that I'm meeting with tomorrow, gastroenterology, just to say, hey, how do we get my vitamin D level back up? Because that might help a ton as well. So we will see. But now that I'm back on the zinc, I'm feeling back on track. I had a really rough couple of weeks uh, after the biopsy results off of the zinc. Um, but yeah, things are looking up. I just went for my first pleasure roll in the wheelchair, went out around the neighborhood around Capitol Hill here in Seattle. Hadn't done that in a while, and it felt so good to get out. And I'm back, and I'm recording this, and I feel pretty good today. And I don't get to say that often, and it's just so important to, you know, celebrate those moments then we, when they happen. That's actually something that uh, I'll talk about with Eric later on in this episode. Towards the end, we talk about that. It's a really powerful thing to keep in mind to, to you know, experience your good moments when they're happening. Before we jump into that conversation, I'll remind you that my guests and I are not medical professionals, so please do not take any action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. I'll also remind you that if you have any questions that you'd like us to discuss on the show, you can always email me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on any episode of the podcast at majorpainpodcast.com on the website. Don't forget to leave us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We got a new five-star rating this week. Thank you so much to whoever that was. I really appreciate it. And if you leave a review, I will read it on the show. Uh, Spotify now offers the ability to rate shows as well, so be sure to drop us a five-star rating there. And if you leave us a review on any platform other than Apple Podcasts, take a screenshot and email it to me, and I would love to share that on the show as well. All right. Well, we have a fantastic conversation to get to today with Eric about kidney stones, so let's jump into it. 
Eric, welcome to the podcast. Howdy. It's a it's a pleasure to have a fellow nerd on the podcast. We just talked about Star Trek for a while. <laughs> Gotta love the the nerd stuff. That that is my bread and butter. Uh, it's what keeps me going. Absolutely, me too. Well, Eric, let's get to know you a little bit. Why don't you tell us about yourself? All right, my name's Eric Pepper. I'm 42 years old. Hopefully, I don't look it. And I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, with my wife, who is my age as well. Her name is Pandora. Uh, yep, Pandora. Uh, a lot of people, like, really? Yep. <laughs> That's her government name. I am a technical writer. I work from home because that's pretty much all I can really do with uh, these health issues. And yep, we have three cats and one of them will come up and try to get in on this and you'll probably hear her purr and she'll walk in front of me again. That's them. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about your, your, uh, your nerd loves. Like what's your, what are your great loves from the world of nerdhood? Uh, so my big one, real big one, is Warhammer 40k. Uh, it's a miniature game, and a lot of novels. Uh, two, three hundred novels now. Uh, it's a it's made by a British company, Games Workshop, and that's one of the few things uh, I've been playing since I was twelve. So thirty years I've been playing miniature games, and they're these little models that you build and paint they're about 28 millimeters uh sometimes they get really really big and those are very very expensive and i asked what i was doing earlier today was building a model <laughs> and that's probably the biggest nerd part of that subgenre that i'm into and then a uh, huge star trek fan of course uh big batman harley quinn like DC Comics, uh, I have issues with the the shows and whatnot at times because they completely bastardize all these great writers mm -hmm. who have started their careers on these characters, creating these characters, and all that. Uh, I'm also a published author. Oh. I uh, published my own sci-fi novel. What? Uh, eight years ago. Wow! Uh, cool. What's it called? Uh, I'm not real happy with it, of course. And <laughs> up strictly just so I can show people. Because, uh, of course, whenever I say, oh, I've self-published a book, everyone goes, no, you have it. No, you have it. Well, just type in my name in Amazon and it pop right up. Uh, the, my, my book's called uh, Hopeful Anarchy. At the time, I thought I was doing this trilogy idea and I thought it was a really cool thing, this play on words. Uh, I really like the, the the dichotomy of things and stuff like that and opposites. Uh, and then I've published uh, a few uh, short stories uh, that are horror based and even po published some poems that were horror based. Very cool. So I have a big background in horror, uh, funny enough, and I have a lot of horror tattoos. I have a lot of tattoos. Uh, I, funny enough, this one on my elbow here, which is from 40K, uh, it's the Chaos Star. I got that one when I was in Seattle. Oh, cool. 
You're, you're giving me some real nostalgia for my sci-fi podcasting days right now. <laughs> it's going to take like all of my self-control to start talking about what we're supposed to talk about and not talk about science fiction for the next hour. Uh, but let's get on topic. So, Eric, what is your major pain? Uh, so, I suffer from kidney stones, specifically your acid kidney stones. I have passed 416 Ooh. over the Oh, my God. Uh, well, Sorry, I just had to say no, that again. How many kidney stones have you passed? 416. Wow. Damn. Yeah. That's now, like upsetting. Yeah, it's caused so much damage to my body. Uh, my kidneys, the tube from the kidney to the bladder, the uter, uh, the bladder, and the urethra. Uh, pretty much, I'm nothing but scar tissue. Wow. It's just all scar tissue. And there's so much scar tissue in there that the stones get caught on the scar tissue. And they get stuck in the urethra. And that is a new level of pain that I don't wish on anyone to deal with ever. Because the kidney stone, you know, the most painful part is the kidney stone passing from the kidney to the bladder going right. through that, which right, is about right. 10. And that is excruciating. And then most people, when they have a stone, you know, it gets in the bladder and usually goes right out with, within a few minutes, if that. For me, I've had them stuck in the urethra for up to a day and uh, I can't move. Uh, it's just, I sit in a chair, I put a heating pad on my crotch, uh, and hope to die. I, I don't know how else to word it. It, it. It's so excruciating. Yeah. Oh my God. This is mind blowing. I mean, I, yeah, I can vouch for what you're saying to some degree because I have passed a couple of kidney stones. It was for me, it was about like seven years ago, I think. And it was the most excruciating pain I've ever felt. I felt like I was being stabbed and it's it's, you know, on your flank, I, like you said, when the, the stone passes from the kidney to the bladder through that tiny little passageway, the ureter, and it like that's when you feel the pain because you have an object, and even though stones are tiny, it's too big for the ureter to, to fit through. So it's just like this absolute stabbing, stabbing pain. Um, yeah. But once it's through there, like you said, in general, when you when you pee out the stone, you don't feel it at that point. So, you're blowing my mind right now. I didn't even know this was possible to pass so many stones that you get scar tissue in the urethra so that you feel pain there as well. That is, that is so awful. That is so awful. I can't even imagine that. Uh, the stones are, uh, since the... I've so I've passed 414 uracid stones. I've passed two calcium stones, but uh, calcium stones, which are red, are usually a little smoother. They look kind of like river stones. Now the uracid stones are sharp, and they cut mm. a lot. And I, I've had I don't know four or five dozen kidney infections, and that happens because the stone cut me in my kidney and you know because that's where you make your urine and all that that hits the blood and it feels like your kidney has enlarged and it's trying to leave your body oh my god a lot of blood in your urine so you have to 
immediately go to something, uh, what, a, a quick care, urgent care, whatever it may be, and get antibiotics. Uh, Cipro is the one they usually give, which is a pretty big horse pill. It's uh, 600 milligrams, and one dose knocks out the uh, infection, but you take it for a week. Uh, the, the side effect to that for me is it makes me a little tired, but once I have a kidney infection, I, I know I have to go. And kidney infections, uh, because of this and due to this, uh, it's no joke because you can go septic pretty quick. And that's terrifying. Think what, yeah, what exactly is going septic? Uh, so your urine, which is pretty much a, a toxic thing at, at where it, when it's in the kidney and going to the bladder and all that, if it hits the bloodstream... Uh, you're going to go septic, so you have poisoned blood, Whoa. and it gets up to the heart and spreads to the the body. Uh, yeah, I, I many many a times, doctors have terrified me with that. And yeah, I I've been through the gauntlet with doctors. I've had five urologists and I've had five nephrologists, which are kidney as kidney experts, and. All of them, I, I produce these uracid stones, so they're minerals. So sodium, uh, sugar, all that stuff. And no idea why I make them. And I, I've gone through these five urologists and nephrologists, and I've given them so many kidney stones. Uh, that's one reason I'm, I'm one of those few people that has his number. I know the number of kidney stones because I've had to give them so many times. All the doctor i've gone to two kidney stone uh clinics and that was a lie they weren't anything special they were just urologists and with the nephrologist and everything they try to give you all this information on changing your diet and add this and add that take away this take away that and i've done everything possible made up my own stuff i've tried to go kind of a homeopathic way. I, I went and had uh, acupuncture. I mean, just anything to stop this. I, I've had many years where I cut out all salt as much as humanly possible. Uh, I haven't salted my food in years. Um, every once in a while, I will have some sugar. Like right now, I'm having a soda, which is about once a week, if that. Uh I've been watching my mineral intake for over a decade and still make kidney stones. Nothing has lowered the amount of kidney stones I make. And it's absolutely maddening. And these doctors just kind of go, well, I, I mean, I, you did what I told you. So I, I, good luck. All right, man. It's what? Uh, they, a couple of the urologists have said, oh, there's this, uh, magic drug. It's designed for your exact affliction and, oh man, uh, if you could only get it, but they don't offer it in the U S or North America or South America, they only offer it in Germany. <laughs> so I'd have to go to Germany to get it. Yeah. 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 Then you have to figure out how to get a prescription mailed to you in the U S cause they're not going to allow that drug in. Was it a narcotic? No, no, no. They just, you know, don't want you to have it. 
that that's rad yeah the red tape of of all the medical establishment can be just like mind-bogglingly upsetting it's like you're telling me that you have something that could help but i can't have it that's ridiculous yeah and i've i used to know the name of the drug off the top of my head but i mean i can't get it so i i mean there's just nothing i can do so i i've forgotten the the title of it and uh, i mean it's it's damaged my life and i've had to fight tooth and nail to be here sitting before you uh because uh you know about 12 years ago they would hand out pain meds like it was nothing right and they threw a lot at me uh, on top of the kidney stones i also have a few uh, herniated discs those hurt uh and sometimes it's like ow oh i got i have to you know i have to lay on a flat surface for a bit uh wow this is not fun but i mean pain level the kidney stones are a hundred times worse than back pain and so they just threw all this stuff at me and of course i became heavily addicted mm. to it uh to the point where i was doing about 250 to 300 milligrams a day wow and I, yeah and it was i was snorting doing everything to get it into my system as fast as possible and then all there just like a light switch like and you're done you're all done man have fun with that and you go into withdrawal and yeah that's the worst feeling ever while passing a kidney stone this is insane this is absolutely insane sorry continue (laughs) uh, uh by pure luck at that time when i was 32 uh i was able to find a pain specialist that helped with uh suboxone which is one of the best medications for getting over opiate uh withdrawals so while a kidney stone is traveling to my bladder i go into his and i'm in heavy withdrawals i go into his office i'm like dude it's please and thankfully he helped me and back then suboxone was very difficult to find only a few pharmacies held it so i was able to get it then i went for years without any pain medication and passing kidney stones without any pain medication uh the only thing i would take and currently that i would take is flomax which dilates the uter uh, the uter usually is around five to six millimeters and Flomax will dilate it to its maximum size of 10, mil- 10 millimeters. Uh, its original thing is to uh, help relax the prostate. So a side effect, which is the what I want, is the dilation of the uter to help pass the stones. Right. And a few years ago, it got uh, real bad, uh, the kidney stones, uh, real bad uh, in december 2019 i had a really bad stone and pretty much collapsed and i had to go to the hospital and i you know I, i'm i'm taking in everything like that and uh, i pass around 50 stones right there very small ones about one millimeter two millimeter and then i have this larger one that's five millimeter by eight millimeter which is pretty big 
uh, if it causes total blockage of the uter, uh, you can go septic and die very fast. And if it causes total blockage, I mean, it completely shuts down that kidney from expelling into the bladder. Uh, that pain level is much higher than the kidney stone. Uh, and, and you black out. No, no one can stand up when they have total blockage. You just, you fall right down. Yeah. And I was very close to total blockage. Uh, and I pass all these stones in there and they were going to give me lithotripsy. Uh, this was my fourth lithotripsy. What's a, what, what is lithotripsy? Uh, so lithotripsy, that's the, the <laughs> man, it's inhumane in my opinion. So the lithotripsy is where they use a laser to break up the stone. Now, say that and everyone goes, oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, technology is rad. But it's not like they just set you down and shoot a laser from the side that goes right through your body and only damages the stone and not the rest of your organs. No, they put you under and then they put a scope and they go up you through 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 the, the doodle noodle. <laughs> Technical term there. Uh, and it's, it has a camera and it has a little laser and they put it all the way up you, all the way up and they place it right against the stone and then they fire the laser and the laser takes one stone and turns it into several stones. And they always lie to you and say, oh, it turns it into gravel and you won't feel it. No, it never turns it into gravel. It just, it turns one stone into five or six stones. After that, they put a stent in you. And I would rather pass a kidney stone than have a stent. And the stent is inserted the same way and removed the same way. They shove it up you and it goes from your kidney to your bladder, the whole uter, and it's a plastic mesh with two loops on it and it keeps you dilated the entire time you have it in you. Wow. You feel it. Uh, every time you move, you feel it poke you. And this last time, they had a clerical error, and I was supposed to have that stent removed after about a week. Uh, after a week, uh, you, you just you can't. I don't know anyone that's had a stent longer than a week. Uh, they screwed up, and I had it for three weeks. And all the things that I've gone through with health and everything like that, that was easily the worst three weeks of my life. Um, imagine having to pee that sensation that you have to go like, right. You're about to just go in your pants. If, if you don't make it to the bathroom, like that sensation and then have it all the time and it never stops. So you always feel like you have to pee always. It never goes away with that stent in there because the stent is rubbing on the bladder and it's causing you uh, your body to say, Hey, there's something in here, get rid of it. So that's in there. You don't sleep at all. I mean, there's no sleep. Uh, it's painful and it can, it, when they put that stent in you, it's over a fresh wound because the laser and the kidney stones, usually the laser, if it's, uh, your first time, this was my fourth time, uh, cuts up some of the burns like a burn or, and can cut up the, that the inside of that uter. And then they put this plastic mesh right over a fresh wound and that's rubbing on that wound. And after you, the, immediately after a lithotripsy, you pass blood clots 
And the urinary tract is not designed to pass blood clots. And suddenly you have these huge things, huge amount of scar tissue and just parts of your body. And I've just coming out of you and you're in your urinating. And you, the only thing you can do is go into the shower, curl up in a ball and cry. Yeah. And that December I was in there right after the surgery, I was in the shower in the room for six hours, just curled up. And uh, then when I finally came out, they cut my pain medication. Like, ah, you don't need any more. You had the surgery. Like this is, yeah. I've been doing this a while. I, I know what's going on here. I, this is what I needed the most. Like, no, no, no. You can go home. Go ahead. Head on home. And so been struggling here and there with, with the pain medications on and off for a while. And then uh, went through that worst experience and then dove deep taking them. And I've gotten pretty close to overdosing a few times, not on purpose or anything accidental. And I really don't want to die. I really, I really want to live. So in February, 2020, uh, with the help of a friend, I was able to get cleaned up and I've been off everything since. Uh, I have a little bit of CBD from time to time or uh, some Delta 8, you know, cannabis mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, besides that, I don't take anything to pass these stones. And one of the worst stones I've passed was in November. I was going to my friend's wedding in Chicago. I was all stoked to go see my friend. Uh, we were roommates for years. Everything's one of my closest friends. Really happy that to get married and all that. And the night before, I have what I have passed on my own, uh, the biggest kidney stone. And it was stuck in my uh, urethra for about four hours. And finally, in, in when it's in there, you can feel it. Uh, as like when you go to urinate and you, you grab yourself if you touch it in a certain way you could feel the stone poke you and you're just mm. and that that's when you when you learn to sit down to pee and I, i've learned that from years and years and years of dealing with this because blacking out when you pee we all have those granite or hard top <sighs> counter yeah to, to the toilet and all that so Luckily, I passed that stone. Then six hours later, I was on an airplane. And my friend is, is very well aware. It's like, okay, when I get in, I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to crash for the day because I need time to recover because I'm, I'm bleeding inside. And every time I pee, you get to see the blood. And it's miserable. The, this, ex, this existence it gets hard at times. Um, I'm not in any way. Uh, I don't have a dark look on things. I, I, I want to live. Uh, but way back when I was 26, 27, 28, uh, the pain would become so great that if I could have made it to the kitchen, I would have gotten a knife. Uh, but I couldn't because I couldn't move. And it would, I had to have to have friends help me, uh, carry me to the car and stuff like that. 
and get to the hospital and then beg and plead for morphine because morphine is what is one of the few things that can it completely eliminate the pain level uh, while it's in you and you have that anti-nausea medication and all that fun stuff. So here I am uh, 17 years into uh, averages out to about two stones a month that I pass. Wow. And I've given them so many kidney stones. You know, I, I've done 24-hour urine collections. I don't know how many I've done. Uh, a lot. At least two dozen. I don't know. Something like that. Uh, I've given enough blood to fill another human, at least. And all this stuff. And they still just, I don't know. I don't know why. Well, are my acidic levels? How are those? Well, you know, you could probably use some more acid in your in your urine there. Okay, so I'll start on a regimen of lemonade and stuff like that, and oranges, anything that gives me more acid into my system. Ah, well, you know, you can try. And so I've tried for years and years and years. It doesn't help. Uh, hasn't lowered the amount of kidney stones they still just keep forming and i like i said the homeopathic way i did uh, uh acupuncture anything just anything and took all these uh herbal pills uh, acupuncture and that was just not sustainable because it was 200 dollars a week to do that i just couldn't afford that on top when I had private insurance, which I had private insurance for a very long time. And it was about $700, a month, which wow. is just not sustainable. Yeah. And then when I gave that up, I had to go on to uh, Medicaid or Medicare. I was getting mixed up always. That's right. Medicaid versus Medicare. Yeah. yeah I'm on Medi Medicaid as well. So I was on that, and then they just decided out of nowhere just to say, "Well, your your partner makes too much." <laughs> mm. Stamp out, and now currently I'm without insurance, uh, which really not fun. So if I go to Quick Care or anything like that, that comes out of pocket, and that gets expensive fast. And I will only go if I have a kidney infection. The in December 2019, when I went through that lithotripsy, I had begged for them to not give me a lith, uh, not give me a stent. But I, they said you can either leave the hospital or get a stent. You have those choices. So I had to get the stent, and they gave me an emergency health insurance uh, Medicaid for this event at the hospital. So luckily, I didn't have to pay too much. Uh, out of pocket, that's about little under $10,000 to have that surgery. And it's, how do you all expect me to carry on and do this? I can't keep a nine to five job because of the stones. You pretty much refuse at this point, you refuse to really look into it on why I make these kidney stones. You just kind of shrug and say, here's some Flomax. Good luck. And I, I tried to get disability, but kidney stones are not considered chronic <laughs> on disability. So 
like, all right, well, I have a bad back. I have some herniated discs. I'm going to try with that. So I was setting up and doing all that. And I was under Medicaid and Medicaid went, oh yeah, we have all your files, everything like that. Oh, look at all these x-rays. Well, we need some new x-rays. All right, that's fine. Cool. So go and do the new x-rays. And then about six weeks later, they say, hey, so we took the new x-rays and we decided that it's not that bad. So no. Yeah. Like, wait, 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 wait. So my back, my spine is not messed up enough for anything. They're like, nah, we, eh, uh, you know, <laughs> nah, like, well, you know, I have kidney stones. Oh, kidney stones, those aren't chronic. Well, for, for me, no, 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 you're just a drug seeker. You just want pills. No, I don't. I don't want any painkillers. I'm not asking for any. No, 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 you, you have no idea. You're not a doctor. And I've heard that a lot. And the disbelief that I've, counted and memorized this number of kidney stones. I went to the Cleveland Clinic uh, for kidney stones here in Las Vegas, and the doctor actually laughed at me with his nurse right in front of me. And I am one, I don't put up with uh, stuff very well like that, uh, especially when it comes to medical and health. So, I have no problem getting an attitude right back. And I actually had to storm out and leave that. I, I didn't even finish the, the whole diagnostic part of it. Uh, I, I've always had a nice little combative relationship. <laughs> uh, my mother passed away uh, three years ago. And I believe to some extent, misdiagnosis is what pushed her towards passing away. She had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and she went through chemo and everything like that. Then it improved, and then a new uh, doctor put her on this medication to help with her heart. Then she passed away four months later, just like that. It was all of a sudden. So it was misdiagnosed, I believe. Now, all that, every time my mom would go to the hospital, the doctors would uh, say such horrible things and say such wild accusations. Uh, one time, uh, while she was in chemo, she had uh, a pneumonia, and the doctor said, nope, this is flesh-eating bacteria, period. So we had to wear like the whole bio suit to go see my mom, and he walks in without, any, without anything on and goes, yeah, it's totally uh, flesh-eating bacteria. She's maybe got a day or two to live and walks out. And I go, uh-uh, no. And I make a scene. I uh, almost get kicked out of the hospital on that one. Uh, I did get kicked out of the hospital uh, when I was 24. So before my kidney stones, when my mother was, this is to also try to highlight how terrible the health community and medical community is here in Las Vegas. It's uh, third worst in the nation. Hmm. Last time I, and just to show and try and put these people here and then, oh, just go out of town. Well, I don't have any insurance right now. Uh, and if I did, insurance doesn't work out of state. And that costs a fortune that we just don't have. Uh, so my mom was in when I was 24 and she didn't have any potassium running in her body. Potassium makes the heart pump. And she accidentally in her sleep pulled out the IV for the potassium 
and they did not replace it for 24 hours. So I walk in and see this and I, I lost it. And I went and did a full swipe on the nurse's station, just knocked everything over. <laughs> I started screaming in the nurse's face. Security came and they had to <laughs> show me to the ground, loop me, drag me out, throw me out on like this physically threw me out on the street. One of the big problems here, uh, this medical community, uh, something that I firmly believe people who are doctors, not everyone, uh, but most doctors become doctors because of the financial gain, the amount of money that they can make. And Vegas has a lot of turnover and higher rate of people going in and out and a tremendous amount of people moving here. It's still a growing city that we have patients everywhere, especially if you get hooked on, if you're a doctor and you take the insurance that like the culinary union takes or the housekeepers union takes uh, per uh, like union, there's probably about 200,000. So these doctors, I, I don't want to sound all conspiratorial and all that, but just, looking at it you know there's just a lot of people that have these insurances which means it's a lot of uh patients a lot of clients and there's a lot of money to be had in this so i i from my experience i can't think or at least remember an actual good doctor someone that i found compassionate and understanding. Real sad thing about all this is my grandfather was a doctor. Like it's just a slap in the face. And they just push and push for you to get these tests that, that don't help. They don't solve anything and just to get more money. And so they don't want they don't want to help you. They don't want to treat the sickness. They want to treat the symptoms. Exactly. And then on top of that, with all the new stuff happening, uh, people that need pain management, and it's disturbing. I know someone that was hit by a car and flipped over the car, busted their shoulder, went to the hospital in there for 24 hours. When they left home, when they left to go home, they were given just three Tylenol PMs. Oh my God. With a broken shoulder. You know, like all this is just doesn't move anymore. And they're still in physical therapy. And that was over a year ago that that happened. And that's in another part of the country, but still, it just feels like no one cares in the medical community. It just, I, yeah. I feel. I'm looked at as a drug seeker uh, or a hypochondriac. Uh, I overreact. No, no, no. It can't be that bad. Uh, especially the, the worst ones were the nephrologists. When I would go and see them in person, they would go, oh, look at you. You're fat and you're stupid. And I, cause I remember the very first one I went to, he had, I, I sat in his office and he said that to me. What? Like, what? Are you kidding yeah. me? No, and I go, what? The girl I was with at the time, uh, very combative uh, towards things. I didn't even get a chance to blow up. She just went for his throat. I mean, she was really letting him have it. 
stand up screaming and yelling and i'm what this and i'm i mean i'm a big guy i'm six three and about 230 pounds but i'm not morbidly obese or anything and he was saying i was morbidly obese equivalent to someone who's about 450 500 pounds and that i may live two or three more years and he'll dance on my grave while she was screaming at him and he was escalating towards that so that's the level of doctors i've encountered it's just yeah it's it it's surreal and it sounds like i'm just making stuff up but no this is all no it doesn't it doesn't sound like that to me at all i mean your experience a lot of what you've experienced in a completely different way lines up with a lot of things that i've experienced or, or what i've talked to a lot of other people about which is this whole idea of trying to treat symptoms without being willing to dig down and find the cause. I, I'm still undiagnosed. You know, I'm, I'm 37. I've been dealing with health problems on and off my whole life, and we still don't know why. And a big part of the, of, of the reason that that happens is because when, when I tell doctors about what's going on, they just kind of shrug it off or don't believe me or aren't willing to dig deep. And now that I'm older and we finally found some things on my test results that are abnormal, and I, I'm starting to have this like constellation of things that I have to show doctors to say, hey, what does this mean? They still don't know. And and the thing that I'm starting to hear all the time now is, well, you just might be undiagnosable, you know, like you might just have something that's not diagnosable. And I can't help but think like there's so many things that we haven't even explored. Like there's so many things that no one's ever tried because no one is willing to to try again, you know? No one's willing to keep trying and keep looking. And it sounds like you're in a similar situation. It's like, like we know that you're having kidney stones. That, you know, that's obvious. And any doctor who's willing to check your record will be able to see, you know, how many stones you've had. And it's it's not something that you can make up or like, or fake or whatever. But, you know, the unwillingness to try harder to to dig deeper and try to figure out what's going on under the surface, the unwillingness to do that is, is an unwillingness in medicine that I've run into over and over and over again. And every once in a while, a doctor is willing and a doctor is willing to stick with you for the long term and keep trying, keep knocking down doors. I'm so lucky right now that I have a primary care who's willing to do that. But that took you know, decades of searching for someone who was like that. Well, I, at least a decade of being in Seattle of trying different primary care doctors until I found one that stuck. I did have a really great primary care as a child also. So I guess it took me about a decade to find someone of like going to doctor after doctor, telling them my whole story over and over again, not being believed, you know, being gaslit, gaslighting myself. Like this, this whole cycle is just so awful. But to be inside of that with such an excruciatingly painful condition is unimaginably unfair. I mean, your your situation is so unfair on several levels. Like that's one. The other side to this is is the what you're talking about with becoming addicted to opiates, and this idea that like there is pain management that can help, but for you it's no longer a safe option because you've you know I'd like to hear more about that from your point of view because. Um, this is something that comes up on the show all the time is when, when the, the guidelines around opiates changed, everyone's supply to pain management was cut off overnight or severely diminished. And I've talked to a lot of people on the show where that had an incredibly awful impact on their life. Um, people that were, you know, taking small amounts of tramadol or Vicodin or something that was helpful for the pain, um, 
but uh, but the other side to this is that becoming addicted to these opiates is a huge risk. And that is absolutely something that happens to people. So I'm curious to hear your perspective on this because you're someone who's been through that. So yeah, tell me more about about what that was like to become addicted to opiates. Uh, so I've been addicted to opiates uh, twice in, uh, over the 15 years. I was addicted for about 26 years old to 32 and it escalated uh and that's when they were giving me the this massive amounts of medication and then i stopped at 32 and then it kind of slowly started building up when i was about 36 just about 37 years old and then in december 2019 it went to hell with that surgery and got really bad only for a short amount of time, but yeah. So my, my view on medications, all that is everyone has the right to not hurt. Every, I love that. I love that. And it enrages me to see and hear people that have something, they, they either have an affliction or they have suffered some calamity, you know, an accident of some sorts. And the doctor's like, no, we don't want you to get addicted to stuff. Uh, you, you, no, nah, we're not going to give you anything that has a, a high level of nar- narcotic in it. No, 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 no. We all need to not hurt. You, you need to take this pain away. Or, you know, sometimes the the most viable option is suicide because the pain levels are so high. And as someone who has seen down that dark tunnel before when I was 26, 27, 28. Uh, yeah, that, that's not fair. That is yeah. completely unfair. And it feels like the doctors just kind of shrug and like, they just, they really don't care. And they're following guidelines and all that. Uh, and not every I, I I have an addictive personality. I'm fully aware of that about myself. I accept it. I've accepted it for a while. And if I did need something for high levels of pain to stop or help management's a better way to put it, to help manage pain level, I would request to have immediately on hand suboxone or subutex or anything. And not methadone, never methadone. Uh, that that's methadone is very scary to me. I've seen it happen. I've seen a lot of people on methadone, and nah, <laughs> I'll do the suboxone method and, and subutex and whatnot. Uh, just give people that, and make sure because not everyone's an addict like me. But I think. I'm not stupid. At least I hope I'm not stupid and I'm fully aware and I do not want to die and I'm careful. So if I need something also give me this, I can't take them together. I will go through what's called precipitated withdrawals and have to go to the hospital. And that's, I've seen precipitated withdrawals. I have never experienced them. I'm terrified because that's next level like take withdrawals times it by a hundred and that's precipitated withdrawals. And that's what happens when you take an opiate 
and the suboxone, one of the subs, uh, too close together. You get violently ill hmm. and everything comes out of all the holes at once hmm. and you're stuck in the shower. And if you don't die from dehydration or something like that, uh, you come out the other end after about six hours. Some people I've heard, I've heard, uh, that some people have passed away, uh, from massive dehydration and whatnot from precipitated withdrawals. Now, yeah. is that true? Don't really know, but it's enough to scare me. So what I'm getting at is people have every right to not hurt and to seek management and to be taken seriously. Everyone has the right to go in and look a doctor in the eye and say, this is miserable. I can't go on or I can't do anything while I'm in this state. And the medical community needs to look at these people and go, all right, if they're just seeking drugs, let's get to the heart of that right now. Let, yes. let's, let's talk. Thank you. Yes. And if they're not, what's going on with this person? What's hurting? And as an example, kidney stones, you do not see kidney stone pain. You just see someone double over and then a rock comes out of their pee pee at some point and that's it. So I'm not taken very seriously by a lot of people because it's not a gaping wound. And I, you can even see some of that in doctors and whatnot. You know, since it's not this gaping, bleeding wound, you can't see a bone or something like that. Uh, it's not that serious. It's it's not that life threatening. And people need to start taking this stuff seriously and to understand that we need to be heard and sit us down. And if we're just seeking drugs, come on, step up and help us. Then step up yeah. and, and talk. And say, hey, uh, why do you need this? And you'll get to them pretty quick. And they're going to say, life sucks, man. They go, okay, well, let's try to change that. And if they go, well, this hurts so much. Well, does life suck? When I switched to Medicaid, uh, I, we all suffer from some sort of mental issue. Yes. I don't want to say mental disease or a mental illness. We, every single human being has something going on in their head. We all do. It's human. And it is perfectly good. Oh, hell, it's great to go and seek someone for help. Whether it be you lay on a couch and discuss your issues for a week, or you get something that chemically helps mm -hmm. alleviate anxiety or depression, whatnot. So one of the things when I got on to Medicaid is I wanted to see a psychiatrist. Uh, back in my 20s, I was on Depakote for a while. And Depakote has two side effects, hair loss and high blood pressure, which is hair loss <laughs> and high blood pressure. And I haven't been on Depakote in years. It's a permanent thing. It sucks. <laughs> so, I went, so with the Medicaid, I, I walk in like, yeah, I have kidney stones and my spine kind of sucks. And, uh, you know, I'd really like to see a psychiatrist. And they ask these questions. Uh, so are you ever sad? Well, yeah, I'm a human. Of course I, I, I get sad. Have you ever had dark thoughts? Well, you need to be a little more descriptive in this. But, I mean, who hasn't had dark thoughts? I, I don't know what you're alluding to. So then they labeled me as uh, a danger to myself hmm. <laughs> that I was suicidal. So I had all these emergency things 
put into place and I had to see a psychiatrist like two days later. And, and it, my file with Medicaid is just, uh, he's suicidal, he's crazy, all this stuff. I'm like, well, no, man, I just answered questions that they were asked because I asked for mental health. Yeah, I'm in constant but, pain. My, my body's ripping itself apart. No one is willing to help me and I have to deal with this on my own. And it's horrible, you know, like who wouldn't have dark thoughts in that scenario, but then to use, to use your own, to use you being upset about a thing that is unfair against you is so unfair. It's just like another thing in your situation that is just infuriatingly unfair. (laughs) And something that people don't seem to, I mean, why would you think about it if you don't suffer? But uh, if you know someone that suffers from some sort of chronic uh, disability, pain, what have you, uh, realize that their chemical makeup in their brain changes. Your your, your actual right. chemistry in the brain and how you view the world, how you interact with the world changes from before the event or whatever it may be. And man, I'd really like to get back to how I I was way more energetic. Uh, Hi, you're back. We got a cat. We got a furry friend. Uh, Everything. And I, I, I've always had a, like a dark sense of humor, but I, I, I've never was deeply pessimistic. Now I am. Uh, I'm Mm. very, I, I'm that the glass is half empty. Uh, Sorry, she's she. <laughs> she wants to be a podcast star. <laughs> Not surprised. Oh. So cute. She's she's a fighter. We have three cats. Uh, this one, she's this is Spectre. She's the alpha. Uh, technically, cats don't have alpha, but she's the alpha. Uh, Digby's the one on the kitchen table, and then the newest member is Mark, who's in the bedroom. <laughs> we have to keep them separated. He came to us. Uh, we, we, we feed, uh, stray cats in our neighborhood, uh, just trying to do what we can. He came up on a Sunday in July. It was 115 degrees and just started screaming at the door. (laughs) And he's like, hi, I I live here now. (laughs) And that was a year and a half ago. So he moved in and he's a huge cat. He's part Bengal, part Maine Coon and part Tabby. Wow. And he's huge. And he's very vocal. Uh, he's this is sleeping time, so that's why he's not screaming at the door to be let out. But these two, this one, they don't like each other. Well, he has a crush on her. She wants nothing to do with him. He wants to beat <laughs> up the whole thing. Uh, so, so the the chemistry in your brain brain changes, yeah. and uh, it would be nice to have. Uh, some help. So either solve the issue at hand. So for me, help me stop producing kidney stones. Oh, you're not going to do that. Well, help get my brain waves something on an equal ground. Uh, I know I'll never return to what I once was, but I'd like to get back there somewhere. I don't want to suffer extreme anxiety anymore and worry that when I go out, like when I go gaming or something, am I going to have a kidney stone while I'm playing hmm. drop in front of all these guys and have to have uh, an ambulance called 
Because despite what anyone says, it's always embarrassing to get an ambulance ride when you're out in public, like when you're at somewhere, like a restaurant or what have you. Despite what anyone says, it's still, it's, it's an embarrassing thing. And even though it's out of your control, we no, still- No, I feel uh, you. I feel you. Yeah. I, I was just thinking about this last night because I, uh, my, my partner Andy and I, we go to her sister's place uh, once a week and we- generally we watch survivor but in the off season we've been watching the amazing race which has actually been really fun i really i've never seen it before but i really enjoyed the season completely besides the point anyway um last night we went to hang out and i started having you know i have muscle spasms a lot and every once in a while i'll make a noise that i don't mean to make i'll just go like boop or something like that you know it's like as i twitch and i am really self-conscious about it sometimes and it's kind of funny it's because it sort of started over the last few years and has gotten a little bit worse as my spasming has gotten worse over the last few years. So I make more uh, unintentional noises than I used to, but the last few years I've been, you know, it's been COVID and I've, and I've been off of work for longer than that because of health. So I'm pretty locked away a lot of the time and I'm not used to doing that in front of other people. I'm not used to having my physical situation be visible because I left work when it got really visible um, out of necessity and sort of accidentally didn't ever see anyone when it was happening, you know, because if I was feeling really rough, I would go home. Like it's just naturally, I wasn't around people when it was happening. So I'm now at the point in my journey where I have to learn how to be okay having my body do things unintentionally in front of other people. And it's weird. It's really weird. It's hard, you know, like letting go of the expectation that I can control my body (laughs) in front of other people is hard. Uh, So I totally relate to what you're saying because this idea of like having something happen to you that it's not in your control that causes something bright and loud and flashy to come down the street and pick you up and whisk you away you know that's like something that's going to stick out and it's not something that you do on purpose that you choose it's something that happens to you and and it can be really anxiety inducing to have it happen around other people that might not be expecting it but you know what i'm learning more and more, the more it happens to me, what I'm learning is that the people that matter are not going to judge me for that, you know? And the people that judge me for that don't matter. And and I'm learning to be a little bit more okay with it every time it happens. Like, no one even noticed or said anything last night, you know? It's just I made one noise in the middle of of watching The Amazing Race that no one else noticed, and then I'm having this existential crisis that no one else even cared about or noticed, you know? I don't know. The way that we perceive ourselves and other people inside of chronic illness can be very complicated. And it's like a, a knee-jerk reaction to apologize for, mm. for the things we can't control. And it's, uh, f- you know, for, for me, it's why should I have to apologize if I have to, to leave whatever it is, if I'm out and about, why do I have to apologize? Because I have a kidney stone and it's coming right now. And I, you know, I want to pass this kidney stone at home. Um, one of the things that helps uh, is, is heat. So I have heating pads. I have a heating pad on in my chair. I take hot baths. The heat does knock it one or two degrees down uh, at the most, but it's enough to help. So why do I have to apologize to everyone that I have to go and deal with a kidney stone? Because everyone knows if I could not have a kidney stone, 
I would. <laughs> Safe to assume. Yeah. So it's it's a, this weird uh, human reaction. It, it this I don't know if it's a learned behavior or I, I don't think it's a natural behavior for us to apologize for things out of our control. I think it's something we not 100% on this, probably something we learn because humiliation is usually one of the worst things that anyone can experience in, in the grand scheme, grand, uh, grand <laughs> sweep of things. Ugh, language. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think uh, we apologize for everything because humiliation is the, the worst thing that anyone could uh, experience. I, I, that's just kind of a, a working theory. Yeah, I think that's, there's a huge cultural element to this of like, uh, I think that it's been a part of our culture to, well, in some parts of the culture, it is your fault if you stick out, you know, yeah, in any way, which, yeah. which is, which I've always hated, you know, because I always stuck out as a kid. I was a weird kid. I'm a weird adult. <laughs> I, st- I always stuck out. And, um... And yeah, I, I, I love that. I, it seems like the next generation, you know, we just talked, talked to uh, um, someone on the show who's 15 and we were talking a little bit about her generation and the acceptance that's sort of bubbling up inside of her generation and like people being accepted for what, however they are, you know, just be real, be yourself. And the idea of like everyone trying to conform to be one thing is falling out of fashion with, and I really hope that this is true because that's, this is how I am. But I, I, I want everyone to have a place to be themselves. And I feel like if people want to conform and want to be like other people, that's fine. And if people don't want to do that, that's great. And both should be fine. You know, it's like whatever you want to be is what people should be comfortable being. You know, like find out who you are and be yourself. Like that's, that's what I want for everyone. And it seems like, you know, there's this huge part of the culture that wants people to to not stick out to deny who they are and pretend to be like everyone else so that everyone can be more comfortable you know and i i find that very uncomfortable so <laughs> yeah and and it's it's an interesting line to ride it's uh we're always battling or at least I, i'll just i'm always battling to not say something completely asinine and stupid stuff like <laughs> And uh, my my sense of humor, I know it's a little off, everything like that. Uh, I try not to crack all the jokes until I, I, I figure someone out a little bit more. And then, uh, okay, so it's my humor. Gonna, you know, am I going to have to just sit here and apologize for every third thing that I say or something? And uh, <laughs> go into that, you know. I go gaming, and then uh, I pass a kidney stone in the bathroom, and I mean. I fall down and sometimes, you know, you fall down and you're still peeing. So you end up just peeing all over your, yourself. Yeah. Your body does not know how to shut off peeing that well. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's excruciating to try to stop peeing. Um, so having that, you know, that's a terrifying thought. Like they hear me fall down, you know, a thump, and then I, they hear a, oh, and then a lot of curse words because uh, I always curse a lot after I pass a stone. And then I come out like the front half of my jeans are soaked with my pee and all that. And, you know, it's, it's gone all over the bathroom wall because I fell over 
I, I blacked out for a moment. Uh, man, that that's just, you know, is that worse than actually passing a kidney stone? Like, you know, at that level of fear, it sh- I, I shouldn't have yeah. that fear at all with anyone. Uh, but of course, I do. Uh, and it's incredibly difficult to get over. So it's, I've become extremely isolated socially. And I've just started in the last nine months, started going out and going uh, gaming again. Uh, I found a, a good group of guys, thankfully. Uh, but I go once a week and I've had to cancel a bunch of times because I've had a kidney stone, stuff like that. And I say, sorry, guys. I, and I, I thought about that. Like, why did I start that with sorry? No, it should just be like, hey, I have a kidney stone. I'll catch you guys next week. <laughs> I shouldn't have to apologize for that. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I don't want to go there go through some sort of humiliation with an ambulance showing up or peeing all over the, the bathroom or all over uh, my jeans. Cause I passed out. I mean, it's just, Oh, no, I feel you. I feel you. And you know, there's, I, I've been pushing myself recently to be a little bit more social and I really, you know, I, I, I was never antisocial, you know, it's just a lot of time. It's really hard for me to be social because I'm not feeling well. And I find that the more time I spend yeah. with other people, I really, it's like, man, I need more of this, you know, like that, that social energy is so valuable. And like I, this last year, I've spent a lot of my social time in a wheelchair, which has been very different for me and something where I have similar feelings of like, now I stick out um, and I'm getting used to it. You know, like I, it's not that bad, you know, I, I've had some bad experiences and there's been bad people that treated me poorly because of it, but my friends never have, you know, the people that matter never have. And I, you know, if I were your in, in your situation, I'm not trying to like, you know, say like, Oh, this is what I would do, but I, I would carry spare jeans everywhere. I went, <laughs> I would have a backpack with jeans in it wherever I went, because I would have that fear too. You know, I, I would, I would want to like feel like I had control over that happening, you know? I, for the longest time, I used to have uh, like a spare underwear and stuff like that in my car. Yeah. Uh, for the long, long years and years and years, I, I used to have like a little oh shit bag. <laughs> uh, now, never happened, knock on wood. Yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I have passed kidney stones out in public, but I uh, luckily I didn't blackout fall down uh, on those. Uh, it seems that most of my blackout fall down ones are at home thankfully uh but yeah no i i i, I do I, I used to do the the spare thing and and i don't have that fear of that happening as much as say 10 years ago or, or a little less. uh uh one one little thing is that a, a real good friend of mine uh was in this horrible accident uh seven years ago uh, uh, truly horrific. Uh, he was at work and something fell on him and it, uh, pretzeled him. So his mm-hmm. ankles touched his ears. Oh my God. And his son called me and I rushed over and punctured lungs. Uh, every vertebrae was broken in his spine. Uh, both tibias broken, ankles broken, a seven inch laceration on his head. Uh, I mean, everything was just 
messed up. And I mean, it was, it was bad. And he was in the hospital and he had to learn how to walk. It took about six months for him and maybe seven months, but now he's out and he still has issues and he uses a walker or a wheelchair, stuff like that. And I'm a very protective person. And when people give us dirty looks or something like that, uh, you know, I'm the first one that, that steps up. And if uh, only a couple of times, if some, someone said something unbelievably rude, uh, one time I was not there. So if I was there, the situation would have gone a little differently. Uh, but so one thing is that he's a gamer as well. So when he goes gaming and stuff like that, he'll apologize and stuff like that. And I, this is what's really weird. And so hypocritical of us as humans, you know, I lean over like, dude, you don't need to apologize for shit. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. Accident happened to you. It's not your fault or anything like that. Everything's cool. You're a good person. Don't worry about it. But it's so hard to say to yourself. Of course, I look in the mirror and go, don't piss yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's, it's so tricky. Like the way we treat ourselves is so it's like antithetical, antithetical to how do you treat other people or how you like want to be treated? You know, it's, it's tough. Yeah. You, you said something that I really wanted to ask you about before we started recording, you mentioned how, um, being in a desert can be oh, yeah. uh, can be hard for uh, uh, kidney stones, and I, I'm dying to know what that means. Here in the desert, uh, you get, here it gets up to 115 degrees. It's uh, crazy. Of course, you sweat, and as you sweat, you release a lot of salt, sodium, and you can see that that white stain on people's shirts mm-hmm. right around the midriff, and when you sweat and all that sodium comes out, it's absorbed right at the kidney and the kidneys absorb all that sodium that you are sweating out and forms kidney stones. So during the summer here, going to a urologist's office is crazy because suddenly it's slammed full of people who work outside. I don't know why, but men seem to have a, a, a higher percentage of having kidney stones. Now, Women do get kidney stones. My wife has had a few, uh, and I'm very fortunate that she understands. Yeah. On top of that, her dad suffers from the same thing I do, uh, to the point where he's lost count. And wow. they they're doing the same thing to him, where it's like, oh wow, yeah, kidney stones. Those are really painful. Yeah, I know. Well, good luck. Take some Advil. What the hell. So, and uh, he actually has uh, a hole in one of his uterus and is waiting on surgery and COVID and all that stuff has pushed back the, sur- the, the surgery for him. And that's something that's ne- needed. Yeah. I, I, and I don't know if I have a hole in one of my uterus or not. I would not be surprised if it's very thin or open. Uh, so during the summer, you go to urologist's office and you're like, wow, there's a lot of people in here. And it's all people who work outside and they're all doubled over in pain. And people like, they like to share, uh, it, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, one upsmanship. Uh, so it, it, a few times I've had these like really, uh, gruff looking guys bent over and they're like, Oh man, 
I have a kidney stone. You don't know what pain is. And I go, oh, yeah, no, man, I'm very sorry. I'm on my 400th, man. I know exactly what you go. No way. You wouldn't be sitting straight up. Well, you'd be amazed at what the body will adjust to to keep you upright. Mm-hmm. Now, just do that 400 more times. Uh, very rare do I ever do anything like that. That person has to push my buttons because one of the things is you can never, ever compare your plight with someone else's and no one should uh, compare theirs to yours because we're all I totally going to agree. do things and what's happening to me and how I handle it is different from someone else. They may handle it much better, much worse. Uh, their pain receptors might be different than mine and they don't hurt nearly as much as I do, or their pain receptors are much, much higher than mine. And their pain level is excruciatingly higher than mine. I don't know. And I will never know. And that that's something that I am very tired of is this constant comparison or one-upsmanship. Oh, you have kidney stones? You don't know what kidney stones are. I've broken my knee. I'm like, oh, that, that, that sucks. Oh, you, you wouldn't handle it. Well, I, I mean, I, I just, huh? Yeah, I would heal. <laughs> this is very important to me, actually, this idea of not comparing. As the host of the Major Pain podcast, it would be really... Uh, like uh, the idea of comparing my guests to each other is not something that I want the listeners to do, you know, like I, I want listeners to experience each story for the person that is telling, you know, and maybe compare yourself to what's being said to, to think about yourself in some way or think about how you react to things. Because I find that interesting personally hearing all these stories, but the idea of comparing one person's, medical situation to another just doesn't make sense you know like we can never exist inside of each other's bodies or know what each other is feeling but we can build empathy and understanding by listening to each other so yeah i totally agree with what you're saying yeah that that's something uh on a on a minor reason why i kind of became a little bit uh um pulled away socially is because uh for a while there a lot of a lot of the friends i was hanging out with uh, constantly in comparison and with my certain thing, uh, it was, they always had to have, always had to just one up me one in something and say, no, you don't know what real pain is. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, I'm not comparing. I, yeah. You've lived more real pain than almost anyone ever will. And, and, And to have to have that questioned is, is really just like, uh, what's the word it's, I mean, offensive, I guess it's just like, exhausting but at at this point i I, i've realized that when people start comparing things uh and medical i don't know why medical is such a big one everyone wants to have the worst diagnosis and have the most sympathy play the the biggest victim i guess i i that's the only thing i can come up with is that everyone wants uh, to be the victim and get all the sympathy and, and be considered the hero or something like that so that's why they compare and compare and compare. And like what I've gone through, it this really sucks. And I mean, it, it controls a, a large aspects of my life, but uh, I'm not any worse than anyone else going through something. And no one's worse than myself. We're just so different from each other. I can't 
look at someone, even if someone breaks a toe, I, I will, I would never do this unless they've pushed my buttons and it's just, you know, they, <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, totally. But if someone stubs their toe, I, I, I've never said this and I would never say this. Oh, oh, you think that's pain. Right. But if someone have, comes at you with that first, you feel the yeah. need, like, because of what you've lived, it's really offensive and you kind of feel the need to, to express what you've lived. And, you know, while we weren't recording, you showed me some of your kidney stones that you have in a bag. And I was like straight up astonished at the size. And I, and I could see even over this video, how sharp they were like, that's horrifying. You know, like what you're living through is, is like legitimately horrifying. How do you live with that horror? I mean, I guess that's what this is all kind of coming down to is like, how do you live with the horror of knowing that you are going to experience excruciating pain over and over in a, in a way that is like so bizarre and unusual and unfair and meaningless and it's like this unsolvable problem like how do you live with that so i take each day as a separate thing i have have good days and bad days and if i have a bad day i hope tomorrow's a good day and one thing that i constantly tell myself when i'm in the middle of a stone uh, one things that that we all do as humans, when we're in excruciating pain or when you're like supremely drunk, you swear that this is the rest of your existence, that this will never stop. And we've all, uh, I've been so drunk, you know, where you're sitting in the shower and 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 there's that voice in the back. You're like, this is the rest of your life. And when in extreme pain, we do uh, ever, all of us do it. We go, this is the rest of my life. Is Mm -hmm. this, what I'm feeling right now, I'm going to feel for another 50 years or something. Like, th- this is it. And I tell myself and remind myself all the time, this is not permanent. This is not permanent. It will pass. And if I have to suck it up and go to the hospital kind of thing, I'll do it. Uh, hopefully, I don't have to because I avoid them as much as possible because it's always a, a terrible experience. Uh, and I just hope the stone not get caught in my bladder or urethra. Uh, and once it's out, it's going to hurt, but I'm going to, it, it's this weird feeling of relief when you pass the stone, like when it's actually out of you, you're kind of like, Oh man, that hurts real bad. But, uh, hmm. Oh Lord. I'm so happy. It's out of me. So I just go day by day, moment by moment. Uh, one of the biggest things is having a partner that is supremely supportive. That, that is one of the most important things. Cause I did this, uh, when I was years and years and years and years ago, I was single and I, I, I was going through this. That was hard. Uh, not having someone there. Uh, it, it was difficult. Uh, friends of course are super important. Uh, almost as important as a great partner. I, I think it's better to have very few great friends than a lot of okay friends. Agreed. And the friends I have, the close ones, no, one lives in Chicago, of course, but if, if 
if something fell apart and I needed them right now, I know they would be there mm-hmm. and see me fall down from kidney stones. And they come up and say, do you need some help up? And I go, no, no, no just leave me here. I don't want to move. Just, just let me lay on the ground. <laughs> just stay here. All that stuff, but helps me get there. And uh, honestly, being like this super nerd, uh, I get so excited about stuff and look forward to stuff that it's a driving force. Uh, it's, it's like I'm perpetually mentally 14 years old and still <laughs> yeah. super about everything. Uh, but I'm 42 years old and physically it's like, I'm about 90. So <laughs> just have to accept it and keep going and just let that excitement kind of take over and, and kind of drive me. So like, I'm excited about watching Picard tonight with, yes. with, so that's like, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm super looking forward to it. And that's a driving force. It's like, if kidney stone gets in the way, no, I'm not going to let this kidney stone stop me. I'm watching Picard tonight. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll take a, I'll take a lighter and shove it up there and try to burn the kidney stone out of me. I don't care. I'm watching Picard tonight. You know, I, so let yourself get a little angry. Uh, a little bit of rage can help. Uh, in, in my opinion, uh, not letting it control you. Don't let rage drive you over the edge, but getting mad can help. Hmm. Uh, uh, getting a little forceful, uh, not only with like the, the health community, the, the medical community, but yourself. Sometimes you just got to really tell yourself, come on. No, 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 not, not this time. Just come on, step up get you'll get through this you are not dying you, you, this is not the rest of your life the stone will pass it, it'll come out you'll have it in a little filter thing you'll wash it off you'll put it in the bag you'll show it to a couple people they'll go ew gross ow i'm so sorry you go yeah well i need a day to you know, chill out and recover put a heating pad on my crotch because that's rad and yeah that that's how i get through it uh everyone has their own system, their own style. And the biggest thing is finding it, finding what helps you move on, what helps you go to the next day, whatever that may be. Uh, that, that's something that I firmly, truly believe in and that I have tried to, no one takes advice, but people take suggestions. So I always suggest, you know, finding something that gets you moving, something that excites you, uh, become a super fan of it, whatever it may be, uh, and let it get you excited and remind yourself that tomorrow is a different day and tomorrow can be a great day versus today's bad day. And it's just every, just doing it day by day. Sometimes, uh, when the stone is moving, uh, it's moment by moment for me, hmm. uh, you know, so, or, or minute by minute. Uh, just okay, okay. It, it, it's excruciating, and maybe the next minute it won't be. And with kidney stones, uh, the most painful part is when they actually move. When they're stuck in the uter, it hurts, but when they move down the uter, it's worse. So I can feel them get stuck on that scar tissue. And uh, like right now, I have a kidney stone on my left kidney. And I can feel that it's getting very close to leaving my kidney because I'm getting uh, a certain t- 
type of pain. Hmm. Uh, and, and it, it flares for about 30, 40 seconds and then it goes away and I'm okay. But then I know it's coming back and that's that the kidney stone gets close to exiting. So it's embedded in that area. And when the kidney flushes, it, it keeps pushing that stone a little by little and finally it'll eject it. And then the real pain begins. And I know I have that coming and they can start in two minutes or it might take another four or five days before it starts coming out. I don't, I have no idea. I can't time them, but I know where they are. Yeah, and that I makes can, sense. I can usually get within a couple millimeters of how big they are. Now, the huge one I passed in November, I, I was a little off because that, that thing is crazy big. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> like I was saying, I saw it uh, when we weren't recording and I was astonished how large it was. I can't even imagine something that size fitting through the delicate machinery. You know, that that's in, absolutely insane. I, I didn't have any Flomax either. Wow. Uh, so that was really scary because uh, uh, the idea of it stuck and causing total backup. So uh, when I was stuck in the urethra and I go to pee and Every time I'd go for those four hours about, man, I hope I pee. Because if I don't pee, I have to go to the hospital because it's completely blocked my urethra. Mm-hmm. This can this can get bad fast. And this will, since when you try to pee and you can't pee, like when you have blockage, I, I, I do know that sensation because of how they remove stents from the body they mm-hmm. they uh, it's an in-office experience where they just sit you down on the table put iodine on you and then they take the scope that has a, a little camera water shoots water into you and it has a little claw and they just shove it right up you oh it and then it's like starting a lawnmower and they pull it out uh i've kept a couple of the stents i don't know where they are but it just looks like a it's this 10 inch, like bluish. It looks kind of like a, a really thick guitar string with two big loops on the end. Mm-hmm. It, it's not anything special to look at, but uh, now when they shove that scope into you, your body and, and it's shooting water to lubricate everything. Uh, you immediately try to pee and you can't because this thing's in you and it causes excruciating pain. And once they pull it out and they pull that stent out, uh, you end up like, not every single time, but uh, half the times you just pee right there on the table because your body is just in total rejection mode and it just goes. And you're like, man, oh, oh. So I know what that sensation is like. So passing that large stone, I was terrified that I would have that total blockage and then that means hospital time. And uh, on top of everything that I've experienced, uh, just like a quick little the beginning of all this. Uh, when I was 25, I had a, a job where I delivered car parts and I drove all around the valley. And for a few years, I'd get this insane pain in my right side. Uh, and it would last for about 20 minutes uh, and then go away. And everyone told me, 
uh, I was a wuss and that it wasn't anything. Just go to the bathroom. That's all it is. You just, you just gas, something like that. Come on. You're, you're just, you're such a wimp. Like, no, I really, it's something else. No, 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 man. You're such a wimp. So I had that for four years. Then when I was 25, I was on a delivery and I stopped at my parents' house because I really had to pee. And I went and peed, I went and peed and it was almost all blood. And I was terrified. I have no idea what's going on. It's just, I'm peeing red. Like, like, like oh God. So my mom and dad, uh, both medically intelligent, uh, especially since my grandfather was a doctor and everything like that. Uh, I call work like, Hey, I'm uh, going to quick care. So I go to quick care and they say, Oh yeah, it's a kidney infection. Here's some antibiotics. All right, cool. You need to see your urologist like right away. Okay. So I see my GP. They refer me to a urologist. I go in and they start giving me all sorts of tests, the 24 hour urine collections, a, a lot of blood drawn, stuff like that. And a couple of weeks in, I get that call. And I was driving and they said, you need to come in and talk to us right now. Seriously, you, you, you need, we have made a space for you. We can't you just tell me on the phone. Nope, 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 not over the phone. You don't want this on the phone. All right. Well, that uh, awesome. So I finished my delivery real quick and say, I have to I call work. Say, I have to go to the doctor right now. So I go in. I get uh, ushered into the back, right into the doctor's office, sits me down. And he goes, well, so you have bladder cancer and uh, you're going to die in two years. Wow. Like that, that's, that's the best information I can give you. Sorry. And we're going to start tests. We're going to do some tests. And then in about four or five months, we're going to start you on chemo. And we might be able to extend your life. Like bladder cancer is terminal. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're done. You're done. You're, sorry. You're not going to make it to 30. There's no way. Wow. So I kept that information quiet for four months. Uh, I didn't tell anyone. And I mean, I was 25. I didn't know any better. I didn't think about, uh, seeing another doctor to get a second opinion or anything like that. I didn't think you know, in 2005, the internet was not as it is now, right? Uh, which is still something you don't want to fully rely on. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> man, some of those things you type it in, you're like, "What? Uh, no, no, that no, that's a bad idea." So I was convinced for a few months that I had cancer and I was going to die. And then finally, I get this call. And like, you need to come in again. Like, it, it can't be worse than what you've already said. It can't. Like, you need to come in. Tell me on the phone. No, we're not going to. No, you have to come in for this one. <laughs> Do I have other cancer? Like, just, just text it to me at this point. So I go in, sit down with the doctor, and he goes, yeah, sorry about that. It's not bladder cancer. You have a kidney stone. Wow. It's like, oh, well, that's very survivable. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But your kidney stone is too big to pass through the uterus, so you need to have a lithotripsy. And that's a surgery. We're going to put you under. We're going to blast it with the laser, put a stent in there. 
and a week later everything's fine and it's not going to hurt at all uh, you know on a scale of one to ten it'll be a two <laughs> and of course i i'm just relieved that i'm not going to die so i'm not thinking about this lithotripsy or a stent or surgery really at all uh but i have to have the surgery very quickly because the stone was uh two centimeters by four centimeters so 20 millimeters by 40 millimeters and you can't pass that it's far too big so if that thing got stuck right at that aperture that goes into the uter it would have caused that blockage you started you started big (laughs) this is your first one and you really went for it yeah so that that is roughly the size of a two-gauge plug earring yeah and I, I, they tell me that information right after, like, you don't have cancer. And you know, like, oh, I, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I don't have cancer. That's cool. So then I go in for the surgery. And afterwards, they say, oh, it's just going to be like peeing gravel. It, it's just like gravel. So, I mean, at, at that age, I was like, well, I, I, I trust doctors, I think. So I, the girl I was with at the time, I went to her parents' house the the next day and they were really, uh, giving her a severe verbal beating about their, how her life did not coincide with their lifestyles. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm trying to say that as delicately <laughs> as I can. Suddenly, I, it, for me, I'm like, "Whoa, I really, I really have to go." So I go to the bathroom and I pass this huge stone that looks like a, a big letter C, <laughs> and it's it was about probably about five millimeters long from tip to tip, and. Now, this is the very first time I've passed a kidney stone and I drop, I, I, it comes out, I yelp, things went black for a second and I fell to my knees and I fell to my left because it came out of the right side. So I'm assuming that my body just wanted to protect my kidney from smashing the ground. And I come to, it's just a moment, I come to and there's blood in the toilet there's that stone, everything like that. And the parents and the girls with come up and they're like, what's your problem? I just passed a stone. And the girl said, well, it's supposed to be gravel. So obviously you're exaggerating. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 hold on. So I go, look at this. And I opened the bathroom. None of them would go in and see. But from the onset of this whole thing, I've been plagued with this horrible luck and just, misdiagnosed and i i went through another cancer scare when i was 29 horribly misdiagnosed it was a kidney stone and i was like i think it's a kidney stone like no it's cancer well i've had a lot of kidney stones and i went through this before no you're gonna that you're done kid It, it you won't live to be 40 if you're lucky you'll make it to 35 couple of months later, like, oh, hey, you know, it's a kidney stone. Yeah. <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> I, I figured that one. And I had already passed that stone. Yeah. And I had saved it. And I went, yeah, yeah. This, this is what you said was cancer. And they're like, well, you know, 
we can't be perfect every time. No, in your profession, you need to be perfect every time. Yeah. When, when you're telling someone they're going to die. Yeah. To have that happen you know? to, you, to one person twice is insane. Yeah. You've lived a, a really insane journey with this whole thing. I mean, and you're in the midst oh. of it. Like, I, I know we're just scratching the surface here. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to wrap up because I'm starting to feel my my energy yeah. window is closing. Um, I, I have to, uh, to pee. Yeah. But, like... <laughs> wait because honestly yeah. like out to pass a stone i don't want to do that while i'm you know like i put my phone down and i go out there and you hear this Ugh! yeah uh he's been gone for like eight minutes he said he was just peeing uh you know i don't want to do that yeah. to you <laughs> well th this has been really incredible i mean i've learned a ton i i've loved hearing your story so much and you, it was so well told. And it, but it's at the same time, it's so upsetting. It's like so frustrating. And I want you to find that diagnosis so badly. Um, As I want you and everyone else. And I, I just want everyone to just be compassionate and understanding and, and, and supportive. Yeah, and so absolutely. If you know, just I have one last question for you. If you could address other people with horrible kidney stone issues who've had hundreds of stones, what would you want to say? Uh, if you find out anything, let me know. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug or, or direct our listeners towards? Uh, no, I, uh, I don't have anything uh, of what I view as important at the moment. Uh, I'm just now coming out of that cocoon and starting to get excited about things all over again. Yeah. So I, I, I don't have anything yet but i will if people well can i tag you on uh, i i post on instagram and tiktok for the podcast can i tag you on those places if people want to connect with you oh of course yeah okay awesome i will for sure if anyone ha has questions uh or they are experiencing kidney stones they want a couple hints that that might help which real quick are drink a lot like drink a lot of gatorade oddly enough gatorade helps uh and heating pads uh, those are your best friends. And th those are the, the big hints. Take hot baths, put a heating pad on, that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, people have any questions, they're more than more than welcome to reach out. Awesome. Fantastic. First, though, I hope no one reaches out for that. For what? I hope no one does reach out because that would be horrible to know that other people oh, are going. Right, right, right. Totally. Well, you said so much stuff that I really resonated with. I loved what you were saying about how... Uh, how you live each day, one day at a time, and you accept what you have that day. And if that day is bad, you hope for better the next day. I love that mindset. And what you're saying about like, when you experience pain, you feel like you're going to live it forever. No one feels that way about experiencing joy. You know, like when you experience joy in the moment of joy, the first thing you think about is, oh, I hope this doesn't end in like the next couple of seconds, instead of thinking to yourself, wow, I could experience joy like this the rest of my life. And I feel like if we could learn, if we could learn to take in the good days as they happen and really enjoy them the with the same ferocity that we experience the bad days, we'd all be better for it. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I wish that our brains were rewired so that we could live in, in these joyous and happy occasions and moments for either a lot longer than we normally do. Cause, cause we are all plagued when something, when you're going through something happy halfway through, you go, this is 
going to end. <laughs> and I'm going to be sad about it. And I'm going to remember it fondly and be sad it didn't repeat. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to break it. it it's something uh, uh, chemical in the brain. Uh, I don't know how to get rid of it, but I'd love to. I'd yeah, love you know, to. what I've been doing is when I feel good and I re- recognize that I feel good, I, I just give myself a moment where like, oh, I feel good right now. And I'm so glad, you know, and this here's, that's another one. It's like, <laughs> it's like a tick mark on my list of times that I felt good and just keeping track of them and acknowledging them. It doesn't matter how long they are. It's just acknowledging that they do happen um, and that I have a long history of them and I will have many more. That brings me a lot of comfort, even though I know there's going to be a lot of bad moments in between. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I will. Uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to try to because I'm, I'm always looking at, OK, this pain is not permanent. Uh, I, when I'm when I'm doing well, I need to go. This is rad. Yeah, it's that. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Just, just simple statement. This is rad. Yeah, totally. And it, for me, it's always an internal thing. You know, I find when I say it out loud, I, I break the spell. <laughs> so I just like, yeah. I try to acknowledge it to myself. And, you know, just a lot of times it's just like watching. So this morning I woke up and I watched the first episode of season two of Star Trek Picard and it was fantastic. And I just loved it. And I, you know, I was just so thrilled that they made a thing that's like just for me because Star Trek The Next Generation is my favorite show ever. And I actually liked it. And yeah, it was, it was really, really exciting. It's something as simple as that, you know, or like last night going over to Ali Nazlin's place and watching Amazing Race. We had a great night. It was super fun. Just like having some social time and, and feeling good, you know, those, those things are, are what life is all about. And I still experience them all the time. And sometimes it's easy to forget that inside of like all the days I have where my body's not functioning or I'm spasming uncontrollably or whatever it is on that day it's like those things are you know those things pass and and good things pass too but if you if you don't pay attention the good things will pass you by i sound like a freaking greeting card right now i'm <laughs> we, i gotta stop talking <laughs> i oh yeah and, and i completely agree I, yeah. I i do i yeah uh one last thing is that uh uh we <laughs> we caught covid that that was awesome. We uh, we uh, had Omicron SB two, mm-hmm. the newest one. We, we are fully vaccinated, but uh, I've just started running through my brain. Does this thing have long haulers on the kidneys? Because man, I can't. Yeah, your kidneys are doing plenty. And uh, yeah, like hey, so. One thing is. Everyone should try not to get COVID. <laughs> get vaccinated. Trust. If I was not vaccinated, I would have been hospitalized easily because I had trouble breathing, like really bad. I got scared. Wow. For two days, I was terrified. I was going to be a, a, a statistic right now, and it, it. I thought my. We got such a heavy viral load, due to a coworker. That I, I and. It's just been crossing my mind because I've just started feeling kind of normal in the last week. And I had it in early January. Yeah. Wow. And oh, that, that was, that was so terrifying. And it's it starting to cross my mind. Does this thing do it? I know it does to the heart. 
you know, I know it can go after the liver, uh, stuff like that. But what about the kidneys? And what about my interaction with the kidneys, the liver, the heart, with the kid, you know, like, shit, what's going on? Like, yeah, uh, well, we know so little about COVID. Maybe, maybe COVID is the cure for kidney stones. Oh, man, that would be rad. I'm kidding, I, I, people. Don't go get COVID. I'm fully vaccinated and boosted. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I have to say that. <laughs> I would say that if it, if it was the cure, uh, I wouldn't have had, then right now I'd be kidney stone free and I, and I, I would be rolling around in joy. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, yeah. I, I, uh, I have so much admiration for your, for so much of what you've said, your mindset, the way you deal with things and your willingness to come on a podcast and share because I feel like we're socialized not to, and I'm trying yes. to make a place where that that's not the way it is. So I really appreciate you, you coming on the show. Oh, no, thank you very much for giving me this platform and uh, letting me just uh, yap. Um, <laughs> well, uh, you're, you're a pleasure to listen to. So Eric, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I hope, you know, of course, everything goes well for both of us. Absolutely. Um, you know, and yeah, please keep, me updated keep everyone updated i will um, for sure for sure and yeah keep us updated if you ever figure out what's at oh, the yeah. root of this you let me know yeah. and we'll broadcast it because that's that would be a, you know a miracle Thank you very much I, re I really appreciate everything uh and everything you do to bring light to people that are marginalized and forgotten well, that really and means a lot thank you so much it, it, it's really awesome as someone who suffers to see someone step up and say, hey, these people count. You know, that that's important. What, what you're doing is very important. Wow, that, I sound, that means so much. Thank you. And everything, but uh, at least from my perspective, uh, it, it is nice to know that others are trying to solve what is going on with them too. Yeah, well, I, that really, it really means a lot to me. I, you know, I, I love doing this. I, I love these conversations, you know, sometimes I feel weird that I enjoy so much hearing other people talk about being in pain, but it's just That's, like, it's important to me. It's so, it's so nice. Even though people have completely different, uh, afflictions and everything, it's relatable. Yeah, exactly. And it's so nice to know that I'm not so alone in this. Yeah, it's different, but it's the same. I'm suffering and no one takes me seriously. Yeah. It's nice to know I'm not alone. That is a common experience. And and it's isolating to everyone that it happens to. But you're not alone. You're one of many. And it's frustrating. You know, I'm one of oh. them too. And it's frustrating. But But the more we talk about it, the more ideas can be sparked between us. And, you know, we can help each other. Yeah. And share information and people that listen. Uh, reach out to all of us if you have something similar or you have questions. You know, never hesitate for reaching out to learn. You know, that, that's something, you know, don't ever be shy about reaching out to a stranger who knows something about this, that, and the other. Yeah. Reach out and say, hey, I suffer from this. So do you. And there can be a connection there and it can help each other. Absolutely. Sure. That's what it's all about. Yeah. For sure. Amazing. Well, thank you for a great conversation. I'm really excited to release this episode. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. 
I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters-Schmidt, Kelsey Matson, and All Around Foundation Waterproofing, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, and Trish O'Brien. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.